podcast pals from whyy and billypen.com it is hitting season i'm your host john stolness from the good fight you can follow me on twitter at john stolness well coming up i gotta tell you when i was first thinking about this podcast this afternoon as the phillies were down five to nothing to the diamondbacks it looked for all the world like this team was going to be swept and i was ready to unload friends i was ready to give it to them i was ready to rip the paint off the walls i was i was ready to do it i was ready to do it but could this win on Wednesday, this 6-5, to 10-inning win, could this be the win that changes the course of the Phillies season? Because it was certainly heading down to a deep and dark place. But uh, Trey Turner maybe has his signature moment as a Philadelphia Philly, and the Phils managed to salvage the final game of their three-game series against the Diamondbacks and get on an airplane to Atlanta to take on the Atlanta Braves this week for a tough four-game series, feeling a little bit better about themselves than they would have if if they'd lost this game on Wednesday. So we're getting into everything that went down here in the finale, and we'll talk about the first two games of the series as well. And I've got a great guest to welcome to the program here in just a couple of minutes. Phillies pre- and post-game host for the radio, 94WIP, Greg Murphy. Murph is going to join the podcast coming up here in just a couple of minutes, and we'll get his thoughts on the early stretch of the season. So we'll do all that coming up here on this edition of Hit and Season. Plus, we'll give you a stat of the week, too. We always do that uh, on the midweek edition of the pod. But yes, and I, I think it's fair to wonder, did I single-handedly save the season? People are people are saying that. I mean, it's just pe- people on online, I hear people, you know, talking on the tweet deck, and I see it I see it fly up in front of my face every now and then, saying that I'm, I saved the season. And and. You know, who's to say who saves a season or who doesn't save a season? But I I think it's pretty clear that when the Phillies went down five to nothing and I sent out a tweet right after Ranger Suarez gave up the home run to Evan Longoria that almost murdered a family of five in, in the upper in the upper deck in left field that I think everybody knew what I was doing here when I tweeted seems pretty clear the Phillies are going to get swept by the Diamondbacks here. Starting tomorrow night, they play four in Atlanta, three in New York, and three in D.C. This is a fork in the road. They righted the ship right about here last year. They need to do it again. So, yes, I had I I wrote that tweet saying, seems pretty clear the Phillies are going to get swept by the Diamondbacks here, knowing the Phillies were going to come back. That's what we call the, rejer- the reverse jinx kids okay see when you've been doing this a long time you know when you've been podcasting a while and you've been writing about the phillies you just get an innate sense for these kinds of things and sometimes you have to do these kinds of things in order to properly motivate a team and just put that energy into the ether and i i i knew when i tweeted that that it was gonna that that the phillies were gonna turn things around that trey turner would would figure it out that the phillies would manage to pull this thing out in 10 innings and and I'm just, I, I don't want to, I don't want to take the credit for saving the season because really the credit goes to the players. But um, in this particular instance, if if there's one percent left over for me, that a little crumb on the floor, then I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it, I suppose. But it is all jokes aside. It's hard not to look at Wednesday's six to five season altering comeback win against the Diamondbacks and 
Think back to last year's comeback win against the Angels right around this same time. Remember that series against the Angels that eventually the Phillies got Joe Madden fired? Now, the Phillies had already started to turn things around. Okay, that was in early, was he, it was about a week later than we are right now. And the Phillies had already started to turn things around, right? Joe Girardi had already been fired. Rob Thompson had already come aboard, and the Phillies had already had a few wins in their back pocket in a row. And this Angel series really started to build momentum. But in the, in the series finale, a getaway day, it was a Sunday, but it was, a, it was a getaway game, a Sunday day game, and the Phillies were getting pantsed by the Angels. And it looked like the Angels were going to win the final game of the series and avoid the sweep. I think the Angels had a nine-game losing streak going at that time. But then Harper hits the game-tying Grand Slam, which to me was reminiscent of Trey Turner hitting his game-tying two-run home run in the ninth with two outs to send the game to extra innings. I mean, we've been waiting for a Trey Turner moment like that. We saw those moments in the World Baseball Classic. Trey Turner finally had his signature moment as a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. And will this be the launching pad that we've all been waiting for for Trey Turner? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But I, when I, when he hit that two-run home run, my, my brain immediately switched over to that Bryce Harper grand slam against the Angels last year that tied the game up. And then Bryson Stott, he hit the walk-off three-run home run uh, in that Angels game. Very reminiscent of Alec Bohm hitting the game-winning RBI single with the bases loaded and nobody out in the 10th inning to give the Phillies a 6-5 to five win. And I'd, I'd like to think that this team that went to the World Series last year, this team full of superstars, this team with a starting rotation that should be good, can use a game like this as a launch pad. And it Honestly, it cannot come at a better time as the Phillies are finally going to play some divisional opponents. Over these next 10 games, they have four in Atlanta against a very good Braves team, a very, very dangerous Braves team that the Phillies would be lucky if they if they split that series. And then they have to go into New York and play a Mets team that was a horror show for them last year. The Mets owned the Phillies in 2022. Can they go into New York and play better there than they did last year? And then they come to Washington, D.C. and get three games against the Nationals who, listen, I live in the D.C. area, as most of you know. I watch this Nationals team on a semi-regular basis. They're not terrible. It is a spunky bunch. That is a team that can actually win a couple of games. They can win a series against the Phillies. They are not, they're not a dead stick, okay? So you have three divisional opponents coming up, and it would have been nightmare fuel for them to go down to Atlanta riding a four-game losing streak, riding a sweep at the hands of the Diamondbacks in, in truly horrific fashion, right? So this win here on Wednesday sets them up, at least gets them into a better headspace. It should give them momentum going into Atlanta, and, and maybe this is the spark that this team needs. Maybe this is the catapult because they certainly should be getting up for these games against the Atlanta Braves. This is an opportunity for the Phillies to, to make up some ground. Rob Thompson talked to reporters and uh, he was actually on the WIP morning show. And I'm going to talk about his appearance on that a little bit more because he said something that was interesting. He had to clarify a little bit later, but uh, they were asking him, 
do you still have the, you know, basically this is a real opportunity for you to make up ground on the Atlanta Braves. Are you focusing on the Atlanta Braves or are you more focusing on the wild card? And he said, yeah, we focus on the division because even if you fall short of the division, if you come close, you probably are very likely then in position to grab a wild card. But right now the division seems pretty, pretty much out of reach, although they're not totally out of it, but they are seven games behind the Atlanta Braves for first place in the National League East. Now, you get four against Atlanta. You go in there and you sweep all four. Suddenly, you're just three games back. But I don't think anybody is expecting that. The Atlanta Braves are are, are kind of scuffling right now. They're five and five in their last 10 games, but the Phillies are three and seven in their last 10 games. The Phillies have a negative 31 run differential. The Braves are at plus 55. Right now, only the Dodgers have a better run differential in the National League at plus 56. So the, the the Braves are playing great baseball. They have the best player in baseball, Ronald Acuna Jr., playing for them right now. But if they do, if they go into Atlanta, let's say they win three out of four, suddenly they're just five games back. They split, they remain seven games back. At this point, though, you just you you can't look at these series quite that way. You 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 have to take them one game at a time and just try and knock that game out. Knock them out one at a time and, and see how close you can get. And this game against, against and I hope I'm not building this game up for, for more than it was. And maybe this was just a one-game jack-in-the-box you know thing where it pops out from the from the little toy box and you know makes everybody happy, and then they go right back in the box and they, they play losing baseball to the, to the Atlanta Braves. But this Phillies team, on paper, should be as good as the Atlanta Braves. Honestly, if we're talking honestly, on paper, this, this Phillies team, even without Reese Hoskins, this team should be as good. And even without Jose Alvarado, this team should be as good as the Atlanta Braves. And if they're not, it's it's a very, 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 it's a fraction of a step lower than where the Atlanta Braves are right now. And what they really need is they need their superstars to play. They need their superstars to play like Ronald Acuna Jr. has played to a degree. Ronald Acuna Jr. is a special talent. He's, he's going to be the best player on the field with these two teams put together. But they need Trey Turner to be Trey Turner. And and like I mentioned before, he finally had his signature moment. Maybe this is the launch pad. Because in his first three plate appearances um on you know, we talked about the uh, the the fourth plate appearance in which he in which he struck out, but uh, earlier in the game in his first three plate appearances, he didn't have anything to show for it, but he hit the ball really hard. I saw Paul Casella tweet this out in his first plate appearance, he hit a 100.8 mile per hour line out. He had a fly out in the in his second plate appearance that was that came off the bat at 96.8 miles an hour, and then he hit a 96.2 mile an hour ground out that was deflected off the pitcher's glove that could have been an RBI single. Um, so look, he's 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 still not 100 there, but that home run maybe that's the confidence boost that he needs because it couldn't have come at a bigger moment. Two outs, bottom of the ninth inning, tying run at the plate trailing by two that's that's as big as it comes and you sign Trey Turner for moments like that and we have just been so thirsty for him to come through in a situation like that and he finally did so maybe that is the thing that gets Trey Turner going now the starting pitching has got to be more consistent they've got to get better starts from Aaron Nola from Zach Wheeler Ranger Suarez did not pitch all that great here um, in fact, he he still looks like he's rusty and still coming back. Um, and uh, and Taiwan Walker has to build off of his last start, but they can do that. They have the starting pitching in those first four guys to do that. One other thing to note about the game on Wednesday, 
we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the job by the bullpen. And I think a lot of times when we talk about this team, we haven't really been talking about the bullpen. You don't talk about a bullpen when they're doing their job. You don't talk about a bullpen when they're keeping teams from scoring. Too often this year, I think the bullpen has given up a run right after the Phillies score a run. It's usually not a big inning, but it's usually that like a single run that just kind of kicks you in the pants. We saw it this week in the first two games of the series against the Diamondbacks. It happened in the later innings where the Phillies would kind of get close. And then in the game, say on Tuesday night, they tie the game at three. The next half inning, Sir Anthony Dominguez gives up a single run. And it's just one of those things that just kind of kind of kicks you in the pants. And it's we've seen we've seen the starters do that and we've seen the bullpen do that. But overall, the bullpen's been very, very good this year. And I think it is one of the best five best bullpens in baseball. And they they were instrumental in the Phillies being able to come back and win this game because Keeping the game at five to nothing over the final four innings was huge. Now it looked like Jeff Hoffman, who has pitched very well since being called up, was going to let the D-backs blow this game open in the sixth inning when he walked the bases loaded with nobody out. But he got a strikeout with the fourth batter that he faced. He was then taken out of the game. Andrew Vasquez has been an outstanding left-handed reliever, especially against lefty hitters. Uh, he got a three-pitch strikeout for the second out of the inning, and then a ground out. The Phillies managed to get out of a bases-loaded, no-out jam where the relief pitcher came in and walked the bases-loaded without giving up a run. A huge momentum swing, and that really may have been the momentum swing of the game right there. We don't talk a lot about that, but the fact that the Diamondbacks didn't score there, that may have been the momentum swing this team needed because the Phillies then uh, came out a couple in the, the next inning, I think it was. The next inning in the, in the, sixth, in the bottom of the sixth inning, and put up those three runs. Yeah, it was that following half inning. So just what I was saying that the Phillies relievers have done this year, giving up and giving up a run after you've built up, a, after you've just kind of gotten back in the game. Well, in this case, the, the Phillies relievers, specifically Andrew Vasquez, manages to wiggle out of a jam where it looked like the game could have been blown right open. And then the Phillies come right out and score three runs. At that point, the momentum had fully shifted. Connor Brogdon comes in for the seventh inning, has an outstanding multi-inning outing, one and two-thirds innings, three strikeouts. He did walk three guys, but uh, you'd like to see those walks come down, but he managed to get out of trouble. And then Junior Marte, who got utterly destroyed by the Rangers in the first series of the season and looked completely overmatched, looked nothing like the guy we saw dominate spring training, now looks like he did down in Clearwater. He's throwing strikes. And we know that he has the stuff. He's got a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, and he's he's got breaking stuff that is that is truly knee-buckling. He pitched the ninth inning, pardon me, um, and he looked like he looked like he did down in Clearwater. And a shutout inning for for Junior Marte, and then Craig Kimbrell once again getting the job done. I gotta say, I did not think Kimbrell would be this effective this year, but he looks reborn, and he looks very happy being the closer. He looks very happy being the last guy in there. And I think once Jose Alvarado comes back. You'll see both of those guys alternate that job. Kimber will probably pitch uh, against uh, a part of the lineup where you have mostly right-handed hitters, and Alvarado will pitch against mostly, if there's a, a stretch of the lineup where you're facing a bunch of lefty guys. But the Phillies really, in Craig Kimbrell, seem to have found the old Craig Kimbrell in there somewhere. And he stranded the zombie runner on second in the 10th inning, and he didn't get his 400th save in the game on Wednesday, but he did get the win, and I don't think he's disappointed about that at all. But the Phillies' bullpen instrumental in them pulling out this win on Wednesday. The one thing I did notice during this series is that the Diamondbacks are a good team. They're good. They're very athletic. And, and you see that, I think Larry Anderson mentioned that on the radio 
uh, on Wednesday during during the game, how fast their defenders are in the outfield, how they can cut balls off in the gap. And it really did stifle the Phillies offense a couple of different times, kept them from getting extra bases. Uh, the D-backs are just a good team. Uh, they, they really are. They're, they're, they're a scrappy group, but they've got a lot of talent. Um, Corbin Carroll's a really good player. Uh, and they've got, they've got, Zach Gallen is obviously one of the best pitchers in the National League, despite what happened in the game here on Wednesday. He's, he's an outstanding pitcher. And they've got a lot of good pieces there in Arizona. That, that's a potential playoff team. Um, and they showed that in the first two games of the series as they really prevented the Phillies from playing complimentary baseball. Uh, they got to Zach Wheeler on Monday. Wheeler wasn't terrible, but also wasn't particularly good. He had trouble putting hitters away. Subpar command up in the strike zone. He talked about that after the game. He's just still not executing all of his pitches really well. He should be putting guys away a little bit more than he is. But again, most of the, we've talked about this on the podcast, most of the data, most of the metrics, the stat cast stuff, tell you that his numbers should be better than they are. He's given up a lot of soft hits. His batting average on balls in play is about 25 points higher than his career average. So you expect his ERA to come down and you expect him to have better luck on the mound than he's had so far this season. And really Tuesday's game with the opener where you had, you know, they're still trying to figure out this number five spot in the rotation. And I'm going to talk to, to Greg about this here in just a second, but it really went as well as it could. Although Matt Strom did put them in an early two to nothing hole as he gave up a, a two run home run. He went the first two innings. Dylan Covey made it three to one the next half inning after the Phillies again. Phillies score a run in the bottom of the second to make it two to one. And then Dylan Covey, the new acquisition, gives up a run right away and makes it three to one. But then he settled down and he gave, he he put up five innings of one run ball. Uh, the Phillies eventually tied it at three late in the game. But then again, as I mentioned, Sir Anthony Dominguez gives up the run and the Diamondbacks end up pulling away uh, to win the game on Tuesday. Ranger Suarez gave up five runs in the first three innings here on Wednesday. But he ultimately gave them five innings, his ERA to start the season, 9.82. Um, you're still, I mean, the one thing I think you still see with this team is they need that power stroke to come back from some of these guys. And Trey Turner in the ninth inning, again, so much easier to just hit a two-run home run than string together three or four singles to try and score those two runs. The Phillies simply just don't have a superstar that's carrying them right now, despite having several superstars in the lineup. And the, the big problem, and this is why Trey Turner, I think what if Trey Turner is ready to turn it on, why it's going to be such a huge key for this team? Because the top two hitters in the Phillies lineup have really struggled this year. Um, I did talk about this at the leadoff spot in a previous podcast, but Todd Zalecki in his newsletter noted that the top two hitters in the Phillies lineup coming into the game on Wednesday had a 269 on base percentage and a combined 626 OPS. You want a high on-base percentage guy. You want high on-base guys at the top of the lineup. And right now, the combination of players who have hit first and second, and that's mostly Bryson Stott and Trey Turner, although Real Muto, Bohm, Sosa, Castellanos have also have all had turns in the top two spots, but it's mostly Stott and Turner. That on-base percentage of 269, second worst in baseball. Only the Royals are worst. The OPS is tied for 27th out of 30 teams. And as Todd notes, it's the Phillies' second lowest on-base percentage from the top two spots since at least 1901. Only the 1968 Phillies at 273 had a lower mark. The OPS is the lowest since 1972, a 618 OPS from the top two guys in, in the lineup. So 
I still don't think Bryson Stott is the best guy for the top of the lineup. He's just a, he's a singles machine, and that's really kind of all he's given you. He's given you a little more power the last week, which has been which has been really helpful, and and maybe that's going to start to build. I saw that they he's been working on flattening his swing plane so that uh, he's he's hitting the ball in the air a little bit more instead of smacking so many balls on the ground. Uh, so that can maybe help his extra base hits. And uh, if again, Trey Turner should be an extra base hit on base machine like he has been throughout his career. Really, he needs to do a lot of work against left-handed pitching, as do all the right-handers in this lineup. The Phillies so far this year have been abysmal against left-handed pitching. And really, you're relying on your right-handed bats to come through against your lefties. If Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber give you something against the lefties, then great. But you've got Trey Turner, JT Realmuto, Nick Castellanos, and Alec Bohm, all your everyday, your four everyday regulars, and I'll throw Edmundo Sosa into the mix too here. Five everyday regulars who, who should be in the lineup against left-handed pitching. Four of these guys are simply not getting the job done. Edmundo Sosa has the best OPS, 844 against left-handed pitchers out of all those guys I just mentioned. He's hitting 289 with a 333 on base and a 511 slugging percentage against Southpaws. Trey Turner hitting 194 against left-handed pitchers with a 275 on base percentage and a 339 slugging percentage, a 614 OPS against left-handed pitchers. In his career, he has had an 867 OPS against left-handed pitchers. All right, that's a that's a 253-point difference in OPS. That's crazy. JT Realmuto has struggled against left-handed pitchers. 204, 218, 352, the slash line for him, a 570 OPS. That's compared to a 769 OPS for his career. It's like 194 points difference. Nick Castellanos, a little bit better. A 791 OPS. That's compared to a career 868. So again, below his career numbers. And Alec Bohm has a 756 OPS against lefties this year compared to 856 for his career, 100 points lower than his career number. So the right-handed bat's not doing enough against lefty pitching. Right now, if you're a left-handed pitcher, you're not going to have a tough time going up against this Phillies lineup. All right, last thing before we get to Greg Murphy, uh, I wanted to play a quick Rob Thompson cut from the 94 WIP show, uh, morning show, because it was really interesting when he said it. And um, he talked about the team and how they've been struggling. And he was asked, this is before the game on Wednesday, obviously, uh, when the Phillies were 22 and 27. Last year, of course, remember the Phillies fired Joe Girardi after a 22 and 29 start. So again, these two, the two starts to the season here, very, very similar. Thompson was on the WIP Morning Show Wednesday discussing the state of the team and offered this somewhat surprising prediction about his ball club. Three, two, one. So what Thompson said was he thinks this team will be a 95-win team. Now, he later clarified those comments. What he, what he, was, he says that he was not saying, although he wouldn't rule it out, that the Phillies will finish with 95 wins. He was not making a prediction. But he was saying that he thinks this team will play at a 95-win clip, like uh, over a 162-game season that they would play at a 95-win clip, which is essentially what they did last year when, when Rob Thompson came aboard. And that's what he was saying. He was saying that he believes that team is still there, that a 95-ish win team is still there. Um, now, during a 162-game season, if you are on a 95-win pace, that means that your winning percentage is 586. 
All right, so if a team goes wins 95 games, they have uh, finished the season with a 586 winning percentage. The Phillies have 113 games left. They would need to go 66 and 47 to put up a 584 winning percentage, two hundredths of a percentage difference, which is about as close as we're going to get here. So that means they've got to play 22 games, no, pardon me, 19 games over 500 the rest of the way. So they got to go 66 and 47. Last year, after Thompson took over, they went 65 and 46. So essentially, the Phillies need to do starting this weekend in Atlanta, this week in Atlanta. Yeah, this weekend in Atlanta. I'm getting parts of my week confused. They need to do exactly what they did last year or better to play at a 95 win pace. And if they go 66 and, and 47, and that's not saying that they're going to win 95 games, obviously, uh, but at 23 and 26, playing to a 584 winning percentage means an 89 win season, which as we saw last year, it's that's probably enough in a weekend National League to get you a wild card. It's not going to be enough to win the division, but it's enough to get you a wild card. And so if the Phillies can do that, if they can be, if they can play at a 95 win pace, which is a 586, 584, 585 winning percentage in and around there, it means they got to get to 89 wins. And it means they got to play 19 games over 500 starting to, starting on, uh, on, on Thursday night in Atlanta against the Braves. And we'll see if they are able to do that. And joining me to talk about this baseball team that is driving us crazy right now with all the ups and downs and the roller coasters, Greg Murphy, Phillies Radio Pre and Post Game Host, one of the great guys covering the team. And uh, you, of course, listen to him every night on 94 WIP when uh, the Phillies are on. And uh, you get to he gets to intro the games and outro the games. And I guess, you know, some some out, some post game shows are better than others, and unfortunately, Greg, so far this season, we've had a, a a few more negative post games than positive. But it's it's great to have you on and talk to you. Thanks for coming on Hitting Season. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great, and thanks for having me, John. Uh, it's always good to talk to you. And and you're right, you know, the post game show is always a lot more fun after a win. Uh, but uh, you know, that's baseball, and it, yeah. this team has driven us a little crazy so far yeah. for this year because. It's hard to figure out what's going on right now. Um, you know, Dave Dombrowski said it just the other day. He said, look, we just we just got to play better. We're, everybody's surprised that they're not playing uh, up to their potential right now. I think it's going to change. I hope it will. Yeah. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. He, he, my concern is that, and I know the players expected to play better. Like you said, they've been talking a lot about that. Um, we watched them go on that run last year, and I felt at the time when they finally made the playoffs, I thought a run was possible because it really felt like they had a mental hurdle to clear to make the postseason. And, and once they were able to do that, it seemed the monkey was off their back. They played a lot looser. They, they played with a lot less stress, I think. Maybe they were just, mm -hmm. they kind of played with an attitude that they were happy to be there. And I really anticipated that carrying over here into 2023. So what would you say is the biggest reason right now that we haven't seen that, that we haven't seen the Phillies kind of pick up where they left off with the 22 postseason? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I had an answer for that. I really don't know. Um, you know, every time it seems like they've figured some things out and they're going to start to go on a run. I mean, it's well documented, you know, four wins, then five losses, then six wins and four losses. And and it's like, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. Um, you know, perhaps a little bit of of a postseason hangover is still hanging around. Although here we are, you know, approaching June that that should be going away yeah. at this point. I, I do think that's a thing. And I, it wasn't overly surprising to see them get off to a slow start in April, but I, I really mm -hmm. thought they'd figure it out by now. You know, 
some of their best players are not playing as well as they need to play. I mean, Trey Turner uh, has been very honest about talking about how he has really struggled early in this season. Again, I totally expect that at the end of the season, we'll look up and Trey Turner's numbers are going to be right where they're supposed to be, which only leads me to believe that, you know, he's going to have a hot June and July kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, but right now he struggled a little bit and uh, really no one in this lineup at the moment is playing, you know, at, at, is, is hot. And yeah. they need to get a couple of guys hot, and they need to get the starting rotation uh, to to be a little bit more consistent. So there's some things that, that have to happen. Uh, um, again, I'm not worried about it. I do believe it's going to happen, but, but let's hope it happens soon. Yeah, and I think one of the concerns that fans have is that the players are relying on last year's experience mm-hmm. that they can – duplicate it right that they can replicate it that they that they can get off to a slow start that they can be four or five six games under 500 entering june and then everything's going to be all right and and you kind of forget what the journey was like last year i mean are they going to have another nine game winning streak the phillies have not had a lot of those in in their recent history so it's not it's not something you can expect to have oh we'll just you know once we rip off a nine or a ten gamer we'll be right back in in the swing of things and i i think there's a a little bit of a worry that they can just kind of flip a switch and i know they won't say that but i'm i think that there is somewhere in the back of their minds they have that experience they know they've done it and they can do it again and while that's all true while that's all possible it's 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 kind of a dangerous path to set for yourself absolutely jay we had that exact conversation last night on the post game show myself and larry anderson uh, the this idea that you can uh rely on the fact that you're going to run off 10 in a row and kind of right the ship and get back over 500 and then just start to roll from there yeah, yeah that's what happened last year there is absolutely no guarantee that that's what's going to happen this year whether or not the players believe that um or not i'm not sure you know maybe subconsciously in the back of their head like you said it's kind of there like yeah you know we've done this before but it is a dangerous way to think and and the season will get away you know pretty quickly i think if you continue to have that mindset um you know hopefully there's enough guys in that clubhouse and there's enough leadership in that clubhouse to to say, you know, guys, we can't expect what happened last year to happen again. We just need to, to take care of business on a nightly basis, start winning these series, start playing a little bit better top to bottom in the lineup and 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 just, you know, start to roll earlier than and waiting till mid to late August to, to get things going. Greg, you're around these guys all the time. I am not. But do you do you get the sense as you're as you're around them, that they're pressing, that they realize maybe they're not performing to expectations right now, and that they're putting a little bit too much pressure on themselves, trying to hit the five-run home run when they when they come to the plate. Yeah, I think there's it's human nature, right? I mean, we're all uh, subject to that. These guys are the best players in the world. They're some of the best athletes in the world. But uh, you know, baseball is a tough game. It's a game of failure, as we all know. And when things start to compile, it's only natural to just want to try and fix it in an instant. And I and I think we've seen that certainly. Uh, you know, Trey has talked a little bit about that. Kyle's talked a little a little bit about that. He said, you know, he was in that boat last year where he felt like he was pressing a little bit. Um, and I think some of our pitchers uh, are, are doing that as well because they see that the lineup is struggling a little bit. So they go out there and try to mm-hmm. to be perfect. And being perfect on the mound is a very difficult thing to do. And it's a hard way to pitch. So I, yeah, it all compiles on one another. I will say this, though, John. 
I don't think there's a better person suited to handle that situation than Rob Thompson. I, I think he is, you know, I think we saw that last year that he was the perfect guy to come in and kind of fix the the, the culture and fix the, the way this team was feeling about themselves. And I firmly believe that these guys buy, well, I know they do. They buy into what Rob is, is talking about. And I firmly believe that, that Rob, um, will get this fixed. I, I really do. I think he's, uh, He's a perfect match for the problems right now that are going on. One of the things that I wrote about uh, earlier in the week was complimentary baseball, right? And I think you were alluding to this just a second ago. When the starting pitchers get off to a rough start and give up two, three, four runs in the first couple of innings, it puts more pressures on the hitters, especially when they come up in clutch situations, high leverage situations, runners with runners in scoring position. We saw that this is a team that can hit with runners in scoring position. Last year, I think they hit 270. They had the tied for the third best mark in baseball. So right. these are largely the same guys. They haven't forgotten how to do this. But like you said, when the starting pitchers give up three in the second, even if you've gotten one in the first, you then you find yourself down early and you're trying to do too much. And it's the same, I guess, with the starting pitchers. If the if you know that the offense is really struggling to get those runners in on second and third, like you said, they they try to be a little bit too perfect. For yeah. me, I think the onus is on the starting pitcher more than it is the offense. For the starting pitcher to set the tone, and especially here in the month of May when the team has the second highest ERA in the starting rotation, that it's on them to set the tone, kind of like we saw Taiwan Walker do in his outing on Sunday. Such a huge difference to be able to know that your your guy is is given putting up zero, so that all you need is one or two opportunities to come through with runners in scoring position to take home a win. What is your sense on complimentary baseball? Do you think it starts with the starting pitcher, or is it a 50-50 kind of thing? No, I, I totally agree with you. I think, I mean, baseball begins and ends with your with your pitching. It really does. I mean, it's always been that way historically. Uh, the teams with with great pitching um, are the teams that go deep into the postseason. And you know, it, we've seen it change a little bit in terms of it used to be that that starting five that could get you into the sixth or seventh inning virtually every game, and you hand it off to the bullpen. Nowadays. It's it's changed, but it's still about pitching. You, you know, the teams with the best bullpens are the ones that we're seeing win championships now. So it's a matter of your starters going five and keeping you in the game, and then you're handing it off to the flamethrowers that are in the back end of the bullpen and locking it down and making a game feel much shorter than it is to the opposing offense. So, yeah, it, it, to me, it does. It begins and ends with pitching. And, uh, you know, the, you look at the Phillies rotation on paper and – if I I don't know about you, but I feel pretty good about it. Looking at it on, on paper now, it you know Zach struggled a little bit last night. He talked about that after the game. Uh, Aaron's been pretty good of late, but uh, you know it. None of them have been lights out, uh, and and I think again, hopefully we start to see that from especially from the top two guys, and and hopefully Taiwan, you know, can build on the success that he's had. Uh, yeah, it's and Ranger. I mean, you know, Ranger just needs to be healthy, I think, and and we'll see a better Ranger Suarez going forward. So, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, you know, it's to me, I guess, if if I had a major concern, it would be that this rotation has to continue to to get better from from where they are right now. Greg, the way I've put it is that I think this is a very good baseball team full of very good players who simply aren't playing good 
And uh, it may, I, 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 you know, we've got, a, there's a lot of great analytics websites out there that'll tell you why this is all happening. Trey Turner's tra chasing too many balls out of the strike zone. We're not walking enough, all these different kinds of things, but really the solution to this as fans. And really, I think for a lot of the players is they really just kind of have to keep going out there and playing. Right. I mean, there's, there's nothing they can do. You can't send any of these struggling veterans to triple a right you're not going to bench them for for four or five games and with the starters you're not going to shelve aaron nola or zach wheeler or taiwan walker if they're struggling they just they the good players that you're paying really good money to just have to do good and you have the reasonable expectation that they will at a certain point is that a good way of looking at things right now yeah, I think it's I think it's a perfect way of looking at things. You know, the one thing I think as fans, and I fall into this category because I'm a fan, just like every everybody else. You know, as fans, we forget that this is a long, long, uh, yeah. Oh, got some music playing here. Uh, nice. It's a long uh, season, and and there's lots of baseball still to be played mm -hmm. that said you know you want it to happen sooner rather than later um but yeah I, I think you just that's the way the players look at it it's we've got to play better we're, we've got a really good team I look around this clubhouse and that guy's good and that guy's good and we're going to play better um it's just it's hard as fans to sit back and kind of be patient and wait for it to happen uh you know as poorly well, I don't want to say it's poorly, but, you know, certainly they haven't played up to their expectations. But even with all of their issues early in the season, you look around the National League and, you know, short of maybe two or three teams, no one's really playing terrific yeah. baseball. I mean, the Dodgers have been really good. The Braves have been good, but they've slid back a little bit. And this mm -hmm. Arizona Diamondbacks team has been pretty good of late. But, um, you know, there's just... There's a lot of we don't tend to look outside of Philadelphia a lot of times yeah. uh, and look around and see what's happening elsewhere. And a lot of the same issues are helping are, are happening with other teams as well. Last thing for you um, regarding the starting rotation. We know that they have four guys that you can count on. But right now, that number five spot in the rotation um, is kind of a black hole. Bailey Falter sent down to AAA. There's really no other option right now for a number five starter. So it looks like we're going to get bullpen games for the next little while. Do you see anybody on the horizon in the minor leagues like a Mick Abel or a Griff McGarry who might be able to jump up to the big league rotation? Or do you anticipate them kind of going the bullpen game opener route for the next couple of three weeks? Yeah, it's a great question. And right. I, if I had to bet, I, you know, I think they're going to try and ride the, you know, the Matt Strom, uh, Dylan Covey uh, for for at least a couple of rotation passes. Um, let's, you know, hopefully Matt Strom's been really good in any role that they've they've uh, stuck him in. So if Covey can be a guy that can come in and pitch three or four innings, now all of a sudden you're in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh, and the rest of the bullpen has really been a strength. So there is a path to that. You know, certainly whatever happens in the previous four starts affects the bullpen and, and, and you know, here and there. But uh, I, I do think they're going to try and do that. If I had to bet, you know, they're hoping Billy Falter can at least figure some things out and maybe come back up and help this team at some point. But also, you know, we're all keeping our eyes on Andrew Painter and, and where his progress is coming back from injury. And by all accounts, he's, you know, he's throwing on flat ground now. I think he's out to 120 feet. He'll probably get up on a mound pretty soon. Um so maybe he's the answer sometime after the All-Star break. I, I don't know. Um, but I think 
that would probably be best case scenario for sure. So uh, the other names that you mentioned, yeah, I mean, Griffin Gary's pitched very well down in the minor leagues and um, I'm sure they're keeping an eye on him, but you know, is that a better solution than what they have right now? I don't know the answer to that. And, and, and so uh, I guess it remains to be seen, but it's certainly something they're talking about, certainly something they're thinking about. And uh, they're going to have to do something, especially if the, Kobe Strom bullpen thing doesn't really pan out. That's why it's so imperative for guys like Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler yeah. and Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker to do their jobs because this number five spot is going to be a question mark yeah. for the near future. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Well, listen, everybody, make sure you're checking out the Phillies radio pre and post game shows with Greg Murphy. And you can follow him on the Twitter machine at GMurphPhils for all of his uh, Twitter content there. Greg, thank you so much for coming on Hit and Season. I really appreciate it. You got it, John. Anytime. It's great to talk to you. Always so great to talk with Murph and uh, uh, definitely looking forward to having him back on the podcast here uh, before the season's out. All right. One last thing before we get to our stat of the week. And one of the things that we want to start doing on the podcast a little bit more is involving you, the audience. We got it. It was really a lot of fun talking to those of you who were able to attend um, the, uh, uh, the tailgate a couple of weeks ago at Citizens Bank Park and to get your thoughts on the Phillies. But you know, it occurred to us, you know, this isn't talk radio. You're not going to call in. And so, you know, hey, Jerry from South Philly, you know, first time, long time. We just, you know, this is a podcast. We don't we don't do that kind of thing. But through the miracle of those little computers that you ha- hold in your hand every single moment of the day, they got voice memos on that thing, right? They got, at least on, on the iPhones, they have a voice memo. I, I imagine on the Android, they have something similar to that. You know what you could do? You can record a message on your voice memo and email it to us. And during the course of the season, we'll be asking you some questions that you can possibly respond to. But for this time around, we're going to take two questions on the Sunday night edition of the podcast that I'll record with Justin and Liz. So if we get more than two, maybe we can save some for other podcasts, but we'll take two questions uh, that you guys send in to us. We'll pick the two best questions and, and we'll answer them on the Sunday edition of the podcast. Record a voice memo on your phone and then email it to hittenseasonpodcast at gmail.com. We'll play it on the show, and then we'll answer the question and talk about it. Hopefully, it'll it'll launch a, a little bit of discussion between the three of us. But we want to start doing this a little bit more, so anytime you have a thought or you have a question or you want to react to a big moment or a big game, record your voice memo on your iPhone or your Android, and you can email it to us at hittenseasonpodcast at gmail.com. Time for your stat of the week. Listen, our, our good buddy Schmenkman over at the Good Fight, our stats guru, just really, man, that dude's a grinder. He just he's always got great stuff here, and um, he he had some uh, some some interesting stats. Uh, looking at Kyle Schwarber's Grand Slam from Saturday, as we mentioned, it was nearly a, a full calendar year between Grand Slams for the Phillies. In fact, when Kyle Schwarber hit the Grand Slam, as Schmenkman noted, it ended the Phillies' 34-game drought for home runs with more than one runner on. The last one, and the only other one this year so far, still was Bohm's, Alec Bohm's three-run home run in his six-RBI game back on April 10th. That was their longest such drought in eight years, and only their fifth drought of 34 or more games since 1990. Looking at Philly's streaks of 34 or more games without getting at least a three-run home run, May through July of 1999, 34 games, and that was a really bad Phillies team. September of 99 through May of 2000, this spanned the course of two seasons, 37 games. June through July of 2014, again, another dark season, 40 games. 
August of 14 through April of 2015, 38 games, again, right in the middle of the rebuild. And then this April and May 2023, 34 games without at least a three-run home run. And as you also noted, Schwarber's home run also broke a streak of 152 games without a Grand Slam since the Bryce Harper Grand Slam against the Angels. That was their longest Grand Slam drought in a quarter century, not since August of 1997 through August of 1998 had the Phillies gone longer without a Grand Slam. So if it felt like a while, it was. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. My thanks once again to the great Greg Murphy for joining me here on this little podcast. And I want to remind you all to check out BillyPen.com. This is they got great stuff there all the time. If you want to be locked in on what's going on in the city of Philadelphia, BillyPen.com is the site. And we've got our own landing page for Hit and Season there. You can go to BillyPen.com slash Hit and Season for all of your Hit and Season content. Of course, the podcast itself can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating. Let us know how you what you think of the show. Give us a comment while you're there as well. And also, you can check out all of our bonus podcast material, The Dirty Inning and Continued Success specifically, over at the Hit and Season Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash hit and season and sign up on one of the tiers there in order to listen to those bonus podcasts we have for you as well. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.